0: So um I've already forgotten what the last series was about. What was it about? Faith, Faith that's right. <coughs> uh, so over the next number of weeks we're doing a, a another series across all the campuses um on uh revival or renewal uh whichever word you you prefer. So um uh, I I love the whole concept of renewal and um Everything in our world, everything that's created, because of the fall that happened back in Genesis chapter 3, if you know your story of the Bible, e- everything in this world degenerates, uh, everything, if it's left to its own devices, and our world is, the Bible says. Uh, so I saw this video, I thought it'd be really interesting as an introduction to my message in regards to what would happen to the world if we didn't maintain the stuff that we've created. So it's a, it's a bit, it's a longer video I've, I've asked Matt down the back there to cut it a bit short, but this goes for a couple of minutes. I thought it was fascinating about what would happen if we didn't renew, maintain, or revive the things that we've created. So let's watch this. I think it goes for about two and a
1: half minutes. Thanks, Matt. Two or three days after we vanish from the planet, most metros in the world are going to be flooded because the pumps that protect them from the underground waters won't work without people. After 10 days... Pets locked at home will start dying of starvation and dehydration. Billions of chickens and millions of cows, as well as other farm animals will be dead. Those who manage to make their way out will enter a ruthless fight for survival. In the brutal world of real wildlife, there won't be a niche for decorative cat and dog breeds, and they will be the first to die out. Bulldogs' short legs and terriers' small jaws are going to become their main and quite likely deadly disadvantages. A few weeks later, there won't be any small dog breeds left anymore. Big dogs will gather in packs and hunt down smaller breeds, as well as other animals. About a month after we disappear, all cooling water on nuclear power stations will have evaporated. This will lead to a series of explosions much stronger than the Fukushima and Chernobyl disasters. Millions of animals will die of cancer, but overall the planet will recover from the radioactive contamination rather fast and easily. One year after people disappear, Strange stars will start to fall from the sky. During our space history, we took dozens of thousands of objects to the Earth's orbit. The highest satellites will fall after many years. After 25 years, three quarters or all squares and sidewalks will be covered with vegetation. Where there are plants, there are herbivorous animals, and where there is prey, there is always a predator. The surviving dogs will cross with the wolves that come to the former cities. Without us, the air will become much cleaner. In some cities, the visibility range will become several times longer. Cities like Dubai and Las Vegas will be buried in sand. The desert will take what belongs to it. So will all of nature. After 300 years, metal constructions such as the Eiffel Tower or steel bridges will start to break. Since for all these years, there won't be anybody around to paint and protect from corrosion. Steel rods in armed concrete will bloat up to three times of their initial thickness, and the last tall buildings will go down vast swamps which formerly occupied america will reappear and hundreds of bird and animal species will return to their unfairly taken home large marine animals will also be very glad not to see us in the absence of humans whales will thrive and reproduce to the maximum of the ocean's capacity to feed them this is how modern cities will look after 500 years without people after 10,000 years the only reminiscence that people were here someday will be the remains of a few stone constructions among which the pyramids in egypt and the great wall of china mount rushmore national memorial will be there almost intact for several hundreds of thousands of years in 50 million years plastic bottles and pieces of broken glass will be the last traces of our civilization in another 50 million years they will be gone as well as you can see Our planet is quite sturdy and can get rid of all of our trash. If, after 300 million years or later, there will be a new rational species, they might not even notice there was a civilization before. So, our planet can perfectly do without us, but we can't without her. Save the planet. Thanks for watching. (laughs) Please, It's a sustainability message, but um,
0: I thought it was fascinating to realize how important it is for our civilization and for society, that there's, that there's maintenance of everything that we have. That if it's not maintained, it actually deteriorates. If it's not looked after, it corrodes, yeah. it uh, rusts, and it breaks down. And as it was saying, after however many hundreds of thousands of years, all the skyscrapers, everything that we've built, would collapse and crumble and would be overgrown, and it would all be gone. So everything that we create and everything that's on this planet needs to be maintained, including our own spiritual life. And uh, I was thinking in relation to that, to our own world, how important it is that there is renewal or revival or maintenance, whatever word you want to use, because everything breaks down without maintenance, without being looked after, without a determined program, if you like, or or routine that keeps these things going. Um, and the reason it's like that is because of the fall as i mentioned earlier in genesis chapter three, eighteen. it says this uh because man turned from god and, and a curse came upon the world it says every created thing in our fallen world needs rene- oh no that's my note uh sorry <laughs> uh the very grant this is because of because of man's sin adam and adam or particularly adam uh this particular one Uh, The very ground is cursed because of you. This is what it says in Genesis 3. The ground is cursed because of you. Getting food from the ground will be as painful as having babies for your wife. We've got a few uh, newborns around here at the moment. Uh, You'll be working in pain all your life long. The ground will sprout thorns and weeds and you'll get your food the hard way. Planting and tilling and harvesting, sweating in the fields from dawn till dusk until you return to that ground yourself. Isn't it interesting that, as I was saying, uh, all of these things, uh, our food production, all these buildings and everything, they don't just maintain themselves. They, we don't build them and leave them. They are constantly maintained. The bridges that we see, as we were saying, if they're not painted, if they're not looked after, uh, maintained, then they will they'll fall down um, and I was thinking about this as I said in in regards to our own spiritual life, when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to fulfilling god's purpose, uh, just like everything else in life, just like everything else of creation, without maintaining that, without a renewal process, without us continually working on that relationship, then it does actually degenerate. It does actually begin to wane like everything else. And um, I don't know about you, but I know for me that we're in a constant ebb and flow between trusting in God for our future and our provision and the things that we want uh, for happiness and contentment and and significance. We're in an ebb and flow between, between trusting God in that and then taking control ourselves, and going well i don't know whether god's doing a good enough job with that i think i'll start to take control in these areas i'll I'll begin to do what i think's the best thing and we and we oscillate between these two don't we where one point we're really trusting in god you can be one night you can be there and you, you might be praying and you feel so close to god and you feel like everything's going to be okay and you feel peace and you wake up in the morning and it's gone it's like, where'd it go? I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling concerned, I'm feeling threatened, I'm not sure. And, and that is because there is this ebb and flow. You don't just have this relationship that you establish with God and then, and then that's it. It's just, it's not like a I well, I was going to use Wi-Fi connection as an example, but that's a pretty poor example because that's not very constant, particularly around here. Oh, who's got horror? Oh, our Wi-Fi is absolutely shocking. Thanks, Optus. Anyway, no. <laughs> um, so we're we're in this flow, and the Bible the Bible tells us that our heart and, and don't shoot the messenger on this, but the Bible says that our heart is a very very deceptive thing. It's very very slippery. Actually, actually trying to. Hold it down and truly understand where your motives are coming from and truly understand what is uh, driving you and why. Dis- what certain, certain decisions that we're making. In our head, we say, oh, I'm making these decisions because of this thing and this thing. But the Bible tells us oftentimes there's something going on in our heart that, w- that we aren't even aware of at times. And to actually look at that and to actually analyze that and actually reflect upon that is very, very challenging. Um. I was. I was uh, who likes Lord of the Rings? I love the Lord of the Rings. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but J.R. Tolkien was a very strong Christian, and that whole uh, story, the whole analogy, is is actually a Christian journey. Yeah, he, and who who remembers the uh, character Gollum? Gollum, Smeagol. Well, Gollum actually represents the heart. I don't know if you're aware of this, but but the heart of of the person and how that heart can be influenced by the pursuit of power, which is the ring. That's, that's part of the backstory of what's going on in there. And, and Gollum, um, uh, the human heart, uh, so the pursuit of power and, and to rule completely autonomously or, or to make it to the top or to have ultimate power is part of that backstory that's going on there. And, and if you know the story of Gollum, uh, just like us, oftentimes we convince ourselves that if we just attain these certain things, if we just attain this particular position in life, if we just attain this particular level of financial uh, autonomy, if we just attain this, this, um, this power or this influence or this house or this, this spouse or partner, or if we just get this family, or if we just get these things, we have these ideas in our head, if, if we just get that, we'll be happy. If we just get that, we'll feel content. If we just get that thing, that ring that we're after, if we get that, then we'll be completely um, content, happy, and feel a a whole sense of significance and value in our life. And, And I don't know if you noticed with Gollum, but Gollum was willing to sacrifice everything. To get a hold of that ring, and if you kn- you know the story, to get that ring, he actually killed his friend because his friend got it first, and he kills him, and he takes it. But part of the interesting story uh, is that Gollum, who, whose original name was Smeagol, if you understand, he was actually a hobbit originally. Um, and and part of the part of this unfolding story is that when we see him, he's actually a very grotesque looking character. And what Tolkien is trying to say in that is is when you are pursuing something like that, thinking if I obtain that thing at the, at the expense of all these other things to get power or authority or autonomy or 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 security or whatever it is, that it actually transforms you. So from uh, Smeagol, who was just a normal person, as this, this desire, this pursuit took over him, it actually transformed him into this ugly, selfish, self-orientated, living only for what he wanted, individual. And and he didn't even realize that this was happening to him. The moment he realizes, and there's a scene in the movie where he looks into the water. I don't know if you remember that scene. He looks into the water and he sees what he has become. And he's shocked. Because oftentimes we don't realize what's happening to us. We don't realize what these driving... Uh, forces or these things within us that we're trying to achieve are actually actually doing to us what we actually look like in our heart. Um, and so that water, that water uh, in a, a biblical analogy, is God's Word. Um, the Bible says that when we look into the Word of God, it's like looking into a mirror. It's like looking into a reflection that reveals who we actually are. It actually begins to reveal our motives. It re- begins to reveal and show us what's truly going on in our heart. And sometimes we look in the Bible and, uh, and we don't like what we see. I don't know if you notice that when we compare ourselves to what Jesus is saying, the kind of life we're supposed to be living, how we're supposed to be uh, serving, and, and the kind of decisions that we're supposed to be making. And we, and we get sometimes these re- revelations. And it's in those moments that we think, "Hey, I need to adjust some things in my life. I need to make some new decisions. I I don't want to be uh, this kind of person." And so, that water—it says in James 1.23, "Those who hear, those who hear the word and don't act, are like those who glance into a mirror, walk away, two minutes later, have no idea who they are or what they look like." That's what it says in, in James. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, which comes through His Word, the free life, which I think is interesting uh, in relation to what Joe was talking about, how oftentimes we think that God's Word and His, and His uh, demand sometimes, but also the, the direction that He tries to lead us upon, we find it so constraining and so restrictive He's saying is actually what's bringing freedom and liberty and life and joy and peace and contentment into our world. Um, the free life, even out of the corner of our, whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, even out of the corner of their eye and sticks with it, no dis, not, uh, is, no, is no distracted scatterbrain, this is a message translation, but a man or woman of action, that person will find delight and affirmation in the action. I think it's uh, really important as we talk about renewal and revival, and oftentimes, you know, in the past when I hear about messages of revival, it's about, you know, coming back to God and getting fired up again and excited about God and recommitted to God, and, and all those things are important. I, I've actually found uh, that in talking to people, it's very rare that we deliberately turn away from God. Every now and again, something major may happen that causes us to question our faith or do we truly believe this? But most times it's simply just a ebbing away of our relationship with God. Just like the, the banks of a river are eroded. Not immediately, but over time, as the water flows, those banks are eroded away. And even without even realizing it, they disappear. Oftentimes our walk with God, our trust in God, our relationship with God just erodes away, just through life, just through time because of the fact that 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 we are not maintaining that relationship we're not putting in that renewal of it and just like any other relationship when it's not when time is not invested into it when there's not you know renewal and revival and and i mean maintenance is probably not a great word (laughs) if you're talking to your spouse we're going on a maintenance night (laughs) But in reality, the whole idea of of keeping that relationship alive is vital. And it's exactly the same in our relationship with God. it, it, It doesn't just maintain itself. Our heart will decay without constant connection with God. Our desire for God will diminish without constant encounter with God. Our taste, our thirst for God's Word Will deteriorate if we are not renewing and refreshing the taste that we have for god 's word, and so that 's why it 's so important for i don 't see renewal or revival as some some moment of exuberance where we, God just touches us, and all of a sudden we 're alive again. Those moments do happen every now and again, which is fantastic, but if that 's what we 're waiting for uh, we will not be living the kind of life that, that god desires for us but if we say you know what this is important to me therefore i'm going to put some time into it then we are taking the initiative in maintaining it the things that we find important the things that we truly value we will invest in if we truly inv- if we truly value our marriage we will invest in it if we love our children those who have children, we will invest in them. The things that we love, we invest in. If you've got a passion for a sport or, or uh, shopping, or uh, <laughs> that is a sport. <laughs> I've been to those sales. That's a, that's a, that's a full contact sport. <laughs> um, but when you're, I mean, I, I like to exercise. I've done different triathlons and and stuff like that and and i see people you'll turn up to these things and there are people that have spent probably fifteen thousand dollars ten grand on a bike all this equipment all the latest thing they got they got uh garments and electronic devices power meters and all these things because they're passionate about it they love it and they're into it and they invest into it the things that we love we will invest into and we'll also maintain those things, looking after them or whatever our cars uh, or the things that we enjoy. Renewal is partly our responsibility. Yeah. Revival, and every one of us, I know, even for me, that you know, it doesn't take more than a few days for there to be a, 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 a almost like a um, if you've seen. Um, not porridge. Uh, what's that yellow stuff? Custard. <laughs> custard. When you leave custard for a little while, it gets that filter across the top. You you know that? You sort of. That's what our heart is like. That our heart, just through life, just through experiences. You know, you get work. You go to work, and people will say stuff, or you got to deal with this. You got to deal with that. You all these things going on, and all these things will start to cause a crust to come across our, our heart, um, where we, we no longer, it just hardens us, we no longer feel, I was, um, just recently we read a book that you may have heard of, it's called The Meaning of, uh, The Search for Meaning, it's by a guy called Viktor Frankl, who was a psychiatrist, he went to Auschwitz, uh, and spent, he was one of the fortunate few to actually survive that, um, uh, but, but he was saying that when you are Uh, constantly exposed when they were constantly exposed to death constantly exposed to suffering constantly exposed to uh, inhumanity towards man that you actually become oblivious to it you actually get hardened to it and he said when you would first cringe at seeing someone beaten with a with a rod or with a bat and beaten to death sometimes you would cringe and you uh, but he said after even a few weeks you'd walk past and feel nothing because of, for the need for, to survive, a hardness that comes across the heart where you just don't feel it. You just don't see it. You just move on. Um, and not to that extent, but life has a way of, of just part of our survival mechanism is to harden ourselves to suffering or to, or to what's going on in the world. There's so many things going on where you can be overwhelmed by them, uh, even in our own world. Know, whether it be with children or, or marriage or work or, or relatives or or the economy or, or shares, house, wh- whatever we've got invested in. And these things can be constantly bombarding us to where, we, we actually, where our heart actually hardens to them. Uh, and not only does it... You, you can't harden yourself to one thing and not harden yourself to something else. When your heart hardens, it hardens to everything. And so we need to allow God to be refreshing us, to be renewing us, to constantly softening our heart so that we can do what he's called us to do, to show compassion, to show love, to to turn the other cheek. All of these things that the Bible talks about, they're not natural inclinations. We don't just do them because it's natural to the human heart. They are counterintuitive. Most of what Jesus asks us to do is counterintuitive and counter to the way the world works. And that's why it's so important for us to live at that higher level where we're able to do what God asks us to do. Empowered by His Spirit, we need to be connecting with Him. We have to be spending some time with Him. We have to be in His Word and allowing His Word to, to, so that we can see where we're at, so that we can see who we are, who we truly are. So many voices out there are telling you who you are, what you need to do, how you need to dress, the way you need to live, the decisions you need to make to be accepted, to be approved, to be successful. And yet, most of those things, although they're good in their own way, are not what Jesus is talking about. We have to know what what, we have to get our identity and our sense of value and purpose and dignity from God, from the creator of the earth so that we have a solidity and a strength and a foundation in our life to stand strong against all these other influences and say, you know what, I don't actually believe that. I don't believe I have to be that way to be valued. I don't believe that I have to make these decisions to be included. I, I have something inside that is greater. Um, you know, the Bible, uh, there's two, two people that are talked about in the Bible uh, that pretty much got to the point that maybe there's been five or six people in in the entire history uh, of humanity have got to, and that's where they are rulers of the whole world, the whole known world. They are the person. Uh, even some of the rich billionaires that we have today, they don't control the whole world. There's no one that has done that today, but there's been a few in the whole course of history, people uh, like Pharaoh that you may have heard about, and two people in the Bible, One's name was Nebuchadnezzar. You may have heard of him. He's talked about in Daniel. Another person was Solomon. King Solomon, who was the son of David in the Bible, the Bible says, ruled the then known world. He was the guy. Um, So if there's anybody that you want to ask, surely a person that's at that point where they rule everything, they've got more wealth than they could ever want, they've got people at their beck and call, they rule everything. They're at the top. You would think a person like that, if in our mind we think, well, if I've just got that, I'm going to be content. If I just get this, I'll be happy. If someone said, you can have it all, in our heart, we'd be, th- or in our mind, we'd think, well, surely I'd be happy if I had it all. If I had it all, anything I ever wanted. I'd be peaceful. I'd be content. I wouldn't have a worry in the world. That's what you'd be thinking, wouldn't you? Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> because if you ask Nebuchadnezzar, who was in that position in the Bible, in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, he says, I was at home taking it easy, which you would, I was taking it easy in my palace without a care in the world. Wouldn't that be awesome? I dream of not having a care. (laughs) Um, Without a care in the world. But as I was stretched out on my bed, I had a dream that scared me. This is the ruler of the whole world, a nightmare that shook me to my core. Isn't it interesting that he's a guy that you would think well, nothing could ever faze him, nothing would worry him. He's got everything that he wants. He's got power, he's got authority, he's got wealth, he's got probably women, he's got whatever. Um, and yet the thing that feared him was the th- was the fact of losing what he had isn't it amazing that fear is not fear does not come from the outside it comes from the inside so even if you're afraid that you're not going to achieve certain things you talk to people that have got certain things like nebuchadnezzar and they're afraid of losing certain things so fear all these things that go on in our heart they they are not removed because we attain a certain position certain level of lifestyle or whatever um And then Solomon, who's who's another guy who was in a similar position, um, he says this. And if you know the book of Ecclesiastes, which is in the Bible, he pretty much much goes through the whole book testing. (laughs) Imagine this for a job. He was the wisest man in the world, the Bible says, because God gave him this insight, and he just went testing every single thing that could possibly make you happy. So he went and drank and went lived a debaucherous life for a period of time thinking that just parties and drinking and, and sex and all this other stuff, surely it makes you happy. And he did that for, I don't know how long, I can't remember, but he did it for a while and he said, you know what, it doesn't make you happy. And then he went uh, for a study and education and he studied all this stuff and he got to the point where he said, the more you know, the more worried you get. <laughs> the more the more you realize you don't know the more concerned you get about all the stuff that's going on he's going mate people that know nothing they're, they're far better off <laughs> their ignorance is bliss um, but he says this at the end of, of this whole journey of discovery of w- w- what does it actually mean to be content what does it actually mean to be happy what what is it about life that is going to make you live your best life and he says this solomon The words of the wise, um, but regarding anything beyond this, dear friend, go easy. Uh, There's no end to the publishing of books, and constant study wears you out, uh, so you're no good for anything. He says, the last and final word is this, fear God and do what He tells you. Isn't that amazing? Do, fear God, that doesn't mean be afraid of God, it simply means have reverence for God, for His Word, for His ways put that first, do what he tells you, and you'll be content, you'll be happy, um, we don't always believe that, or we might, we might buy into it for a period of time, and then we get anxious, we get worried, we don't seem to be seeing these things happen, and we take control again, but from all these words that we have here, I've got, uh, three, three things that we can learn from Nebuchadnezzar, from Solomon, from, uh, Gollum, uh, and from the story in the book of Genesis. Number one, true happiness and the pursuit of happiness is one of the, well, it's it's one of the founding declarations of of the US, um, of the uh, the United States. Um, But there is something within us that desires happiness. True happiness, peace and contentment is something that we achieve from what we learn here from the inside and not from the outside. The things that we're after, peace, contentment, happiness, are not found in external objects. They're found internally through our relationship with our Creator when we discover our true identity, value, purpose, and significance that comes from Him. Does that mean it's wrong to, to pursue stuff and buy Absolutely not. Not at all. In the, the desire to achieve, the desire uh, 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 ambition, drive, determination, goals, uh, all these things are placed within the human heart um, to achieve everything that we have possible. What the Bible says is that we don't allow those things to define us. We don't allow those things to tell us whether we have true value or not. And if we're pursuing or desiring those things to make us happy and content and fulfilled, we're going to find ourselves continually thirsting for more because they don't achieve it nebuchadnezzar says that solomon says that and Gollum says it as well (laughs) he was never happy he was never happy so number one if we're looking for these things these peace happiness joy contentment in obtaining certain objects we will be disappointed we find them inside no matter what circumstances we're in we find them inside our heart as we look to God. Number two, uh, it's uh, this place of happiness and peace and contentment, it's not a place we attain, it's a place we maintain. It's not a place we attain. Many religions in the world will say when you get to a certain level, you're on a plane, you get to Nirvana, you get to paradise, you achieve this level and then you're there. And it's all about removing yourself from the world, from the tainted world, from this fallen world and removing yourself and, and getting to this place where you're away. And once you're there, you've attained it. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that the, this place of peace, happiness, joy, contentment, significance, value, all these things that we desire as human beings, they're not, they're not, we don't just attain them and we have them. We must maintain them. In our relationship with God and our understanding of where we're at, Um, so we uh, and so the value of the of the Christian faith, as opposed to other religions, where they say remove yourself from the world, Jesus said this. He said, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Don't remove yourself from the world." We think that if we remove ourselves from certain influences, then somehow that will make us pure. But purity comes from the inside out. That doesn't mean at times you've got to distance yourself from certain influences. The Bible makes that clear as well. But we don't attain this place of nirvana. We don't obtain this place of peace and joy because we remove ourselves from the world. We we gain it because we have a relationship with God. We find peace and security and contentment knowing that He is working all things together for good. It's not the removal of problems. It's not the removal of situations that can cause stress and anxiety. It's the understanding that God is there. He's with you. He'll never leave you. And He's working all things together for good. That's what brings peace. That's what brings assurance. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is a positive force, a positive power that comes from God that, exudes out despite what's going on in our life the bible says go into all the world transform it from the inside out and third point i'll finish with this you you can't do this on your own it's not a it's not a journey even frodo didn't get to fulfill his purpose on his own he had the he had the team he had the guys around him that were helping him and, and and you know oftentimes we get this idea that we're We're out there on our own, and we've got to do on our own. Uh, The Bible says this. Um, uh, It says something. (laughs) I didn't print that page out. It says this. Oh, here we go. Let's keep, let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. Keep a firm grip on God's promises. Keep them at the forefront, believing that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, think, or imagine. This is in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, I think it is. Sorry, I didn't write down the scripture. Listen to this. He always keeps His word. He always keeps His word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not avoiding worshipping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. The Bible is clear that finding contentment, finding peace, finding significance, finding value, the things that the human heart desires are not found in isolation. They're found in community. As we invest into others, we find we're invested in ourselves. As we reach out, we find, we find... That it comes back to us, and as we give, we receive. And so, I want to encourage you to connect three things if you're feeling anxious, concerned, worried about things that are going on, or where you're at, or what's happening, or the station you're in in life. I want you to, instead of looking for a particular thing out there that's going to bring that to you, to start to look inside where the Lord is. If you have Jesus in your heart, to look in His Word which is like a mirror and a reflection, and to develop a habit to be renewing your faith. The last thing I want for you is for your faith, your relationship with God, to do what we saw happening with those buildings and those other structures and everything else that is up there, that happens without maintenance, without renewal, without the reviving power of God's Spirit, our relationship with Him. We may not ever walk away. We may even continue to go to church. But that vibrancy, that power, that joy, that anticipation that comes when you're in relationship with God, where you, you actually have a thirst. For, I even find as a pastor, sometimes I'm thirsty for God's Word. I find if I think, oh, you know, I don't want to really read that. I want to read something else. I need to be revived. I need to be renewed. My heart needs to be Refreshed. Because every one of us, every one of us can find this, this thing, this skin coming across our heart. And to not think that somehow I'm going to do this in isolation. The power of the church is the power of community, where we are connected in. Sometimes you don't feel like going. Sometimes because of whatever's going on, oh, I don't want to go, I don't want to do this. The best thing that you can do is to continue to fellowship, to stay in community, to encourage one another. We all go through ups and downs in life. We have highs, we have lows. We encourage one another in the lows. We celebrate one another in the highs. When someone has a victory, we all go, yay. When someone's going through a hard time, we support, we encourage, we help out. That's the power of the church. That's the power of God's way. And that's the power of his purpose for you and for all. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Thank you, God, for your word. We love you, Jesus. Why don't we stand?